Well, let me just begin by saying good morning again. I want to say a welcome now, not only to those of you who are here, but special greetings to those of you who are joining us right now by video. If you're in our traditional sanctuary or you're online or on TV, I'm really glad that you're here. I'm glad we have this chance for all of us to be connected together this way, to learn and grow together, to be restored together to the fullness of life that God intends for us in Jesus Christ. If you're new here this morning, if you're tuning in for the first time, We've been in a journey together for the last month, month and a half, called Restored. And we've been especially focusing on how it is that the Spirit of God restores us as we get to know what God is like in the person of Jesus, where we trade in the pictures of God that we might have picked up or formed on our own along the way for the picture of the, of the God who is embodied in the person of Jesus. And we've been focusing in the last few weeks on the unconditional love of God for us, learning to, to trade in our pictures of God that are angry and punishing and arbitrary and untrustworthy, and learning that God's love is generous. It's not based on our performance. It's not based on how we compare to other people, but that God's love for us is a radical love. He's the kind of God who runs after us and throws his arms around us, loves us and calls us his children. And I, if you haven't been here for these previous weeks, if you're a guest here, I'd, I'd actually recommend going back. You can find these messages on video and catching up with this journey. It's important for where we go from here. To get started today, what I'd like to do is share with you a story, actually, that comes from a, a book that many of you are reading as a supplement to this journey. It's a book called The Good and Beautiful God. It's written by a Christian teacher whose name is James Bryan Smith. And uh, Dr. Smith uh, shared this story. He was a guest speaker. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was a guest speaker at a church that wasn't his own home church. And he was there sharing a talk that was really similar to the content that we've been covering together for these last few weeks. He was sharing with them about the unconditional love of God and how God's love values us as his children and sets us free. And he saw that people were having their pictures of God changed and it was empowering and freeing for people. Had some conversations afterward with folks who were touched by that message. And then afterward, toward the end of that line of people, a young woman, 20-something woman, comes up to him and says, hey, I just really want to thank you. That message was really empowering to me. And she shared with them how she was living in a relationship with her boyfriend that her family thought wasn't good for her or for them, that her church friends, her Christian friends, her community, his friends were saying, I don't think this is good for you guys. And she came up and said, you know what? I'm glad to hear that God loves us and doesn't care how we live. Now I feel free to do whatever I want to do. And he went, oh, I'm not sure that's, but I was trying to say, and she went away skipping down the aisle. And, and he was reflecting on that kind of a, a danger that maybe we can set up for ourselves. That on the one hand, we might have formed this picture of God that is angry and stormy. And I've, we got a picture to bring along for this. Maybe your picture of God looks like this, right? And whenever you do something wrong, whenever you make a bad choice in life, you just got to dodge because the lightning might come down from heaven and boom, smite you wherever you are. But we learn that God is love. This is not what God is like. And so we go, oh, and we swing to the other extreme and think that God looks kind of like that, right? <laughs> the guy's this teddy bear. And, and we're just swinging back and forth on a pendulum from one side to the other, from the God who storms and rages and angrily punishes to the God who's kind of nice to give a hug to at night but doesn't really actually change anything in your life. And we go back and forth between these two extremes. Or we might learn, we might try to think about it like this. Like there's a balance that we have to strike between God's love and God's holiness. And, and I think those are, that's a good idea to start with, but there's actually a little danger in thinking like that too. 
if we feel we need to strike a healthy balance between God's love and God's holiness, because balance is actually a, a difficult concept. In order to have God's holiness, we would think we probably need to subtract a little bit of God's love. Let's not have so much of God's love here. Let's work some God's holiness into the equation. We don't ever need less of God's love. We never want to take some of God's love out of the equation. Or to focus on God's love, we're like, let's just move some of God's holiness out of the picture. We don't ever need less of God's holiness. God is holy, and God's love, and God is love. In fact, God has a holy love for us. God loves us so much that in his holiness, he's against the things that harm us. In fact, I'd like to, I want to give you a line that we're going to learn together today. I'll say this, and then I want you to repeat it with me. Because God is for us, he is against that which harms us. If, if you're in our sanctuary, if you're online, if you're here in our contemporary service, can we say that together right now? Because God is for us, he is against that which harms us. Let me, let me tell you a quick little story that I think illustrates this well. It's a story I learned from Pastor Angie years ago, and for me, this just really captured this concept. She told me a story, and Angie, I might have gotten some of the details wrong over the years, forgive me, that she, when she was in high school, she and a friend of hers were going to take a driving trip somewhere, and I think it was kind of farther away than they were used to going, and, and she was wondering if that, was, if that was out of bounds or not. And so she said to this friend of hers, you know, is that, I'm not sure how my parents feel about that. Is that okay with your parents if we do that? And this friend said, oh, my parents don't care what I do. Kind of like happy and free about that. My parents don't care what I do. And then all of a sudden it hit them both how sad that was. My parents don't care what I do. Think about that in terms of our Heavenly Father. God is so passionately for us. God loves you as his child. We learned last week to, to picture God as Jesus told us this story of our Heavenly Father running down the road after us, throwing his arms around us, caring about us desperately. And I can just imagine God going, I love you and I am tired of you getting hurt and I don't want what's bad for you in your life. Because God loves us, he is also passionately against that which harms us. And we find the best picture of this not just in whatever adjectives we say about God. And we've been learning to use some descriptors of God. They're good, they're helpful. We've been learning in this series that God is love, that God is generous, that God is good, that God is trustworthy, and today that God is holy. But we don't only want just these words that, that we might make up or define. We want to learn the character of God in the person of Jesus. And we look at Jesus together today and at the story of the scripture of which Jesus is the center we can see that because God is so for us, he's against the things that hurt us. He's against that which harms us. And I'd like to spend our time together today giving you just kind of three examples, three categories, three ideas that help us understand the things that God wants less of in our lives so there can be more of him, so there can be more of his love and more of his health in our relationships. And if, so I'm going to give these to you today. If you're a note taker, you can, you can be taking notes on this on the front of the study guide. They all three start with the letter I. Isn't that cute? Isn't that helpful? They're all going to start with the letter I. You might be able to remember these later. All right, here's the first one. The first thing that God is against in our lives because it harms us is idolatry. God is against idolatry in our lives. Now, did any of you just think, dude, that's an old word? <laughs> like, who, idolatry, what's that about? 
I mean, when, when I say that word, I, the first thing that comes to my mind is people who lived like thousands of years ago, who had a statue in a temple somewhere, this like silver, gold, wood, stone thing. And people went in there and they like cut the throats of animals and they practiced idolatry. Seems so long ago. This is really still very relevant to our lives. You know, it, in, in Jesus' life, let me give you an example here first. In Jesus' life, he spent most of his life in ministry among other ancient Israelite people, among other Jewish people, who really all thought they worshiped God in the same way. And yet sometimes Jesus had to talk to people of the same faith, other Jewish people, and say to them, you don't know what God is like. There's a place where Jesus was having a conversation with some Sadducees. They were powerful leaders among the Jewish people. And he was talking to them about resurrection, about our eternal hope. And they were saying there is none. And he said, you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. You don't even know what God is like. Another time, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, another kind of famous group of leaders among the ancient Israelites. And he told them a story that we focused on last week, this story of the prodigal son telling them you can imagine that God is like a loving father. And when people wander far away from him and they return to him, he's not sending lightning bolts. He's not a teddy bear either, but he runs down the road after them, throws his arms around him and says, you are my child. It matters what you think God is like. It matters what you think God is like. Now, we live in a little different context. Actually, we live in a very different context than Jesus lived in. We live in a world that's more globally aware. We're aware of all kinds of world religions. And it can feel a little small sometimes. It can feel a little bit narrow to say, my religion is better than your religion. We actually addressed this in a whole message in a series called Conversations with a Skeptic a little while ago uh, last year. We don't have time for that whole topic right now. But I want to reinforce that we're learning in this series that it matters what God is like. It matters how you worship God. It matters what you think the character of God is like. It transforms our hearts and it transforms our relationships. But to speak directly to the context that I think most of us who are connected here together right now, that most of us live in, your most pressing question, what affects the decisions in your life is probably not whether you think God has a name that's Allah or God is Krishna or God is Yahweh. You're not probably asking that question every day. I'm not but we still have a lot of questions about what's the most important thing in our lives. What do we order our decisions around? What do we order our priorities around? What does it mean to have a God? I think you can tell that you have another God rising in your life when you can tell there's something to which your heart and emotions are just attached. And when that goes well, your life is good. And when that goes down, your life is bad. When you can recognize there's another priority that orders your financial decisions, that orders your relational decisions, that, that you organize your life around, and you go, then you can tell this is the important thing in my life. You might have a God rising in your life. Let me share with you a conversation I had this week that really kind of convicted me about this. Right? I was sitting together for lunch on Monday afternoon with our intern pastor, Danny Householder. He was the one in that announcement video on the ice, just in case you want to embarrass him any further. Danny and I were having a conversation uh, at lunch today, and we were talking about this topic, and, uh, and he brought up, now Danny and I are both huge sports fans, all right? Some of you probably watched the Super Bowl a couple weeks ago, right? Anybody watched the Super Bowl? I bet you did, right? And most people, when the game is over, you find the clicker and click it off, right? No, did anybody watch the presentation of the Lombardi Trophy after the Super Bowl? Some people do, right? A few people did, all right? Danny and I were talking about that, and we were talking about how attached 
we all are to this game, you know, and all the money and all the decisions, how our hearts rise and fall with this entertainment event and the billions of dollars that are offered, I mean, spent in the offering, I mean, ticket sales for, for this event, right? And then he was pointing out to me that he, he watched the Lombardi trophy presentation. I, I admit I didn't watch it, but I went back on YouTube afterward and watched it. Some of you might want to do the same thing. It was amazing, right? So here was this silver idol, I mean trophy cup, that, that they were bringing down, and they marched it in a procession down. I mean, I mean, they walked it down an aisle full of football players and fans, everybody, and they're all reaching out to touch it just to get their fingers on it, and people started kissing it, right? And all the worship music, I mean, the anthem was being played as it came forward, and, and the priests, I, I mean, the officials of the NFL brought the thing to the center. People were surrounding it, right? And then they laid their hands on it, and they, and they began to play the anthem. And I was like, oh my goodness, I think oh, this is really uncomfortable for me right now because <laughs> I'm a huge sports fan, right? I mean, I, I love watching all season long, basketball, football, the whole works. And I thought, it's possible that I might have a God rising in my life. I might be investing a lot of personal energy. I might be investing a lot of money in this. People are sacrificing their bodies for this. All right, I'm not trying to say anything particular about football or basketball or whatever right now. I'm just using an illustration about the things that we get attached to that can become like God's in our lives. Because God is for us, he doesn't want us to have other things in our lives that consume our love and our devotion and our resources and our bodies and our relationships because those things don't give us life. Because God gives us life. Because he wants to restore us with him, restore us in relationship with him and restore us in relationship with one another so that we won't be attached to things that diminish us but attached to things that enhance our life and give us the fullness of life. Because God is for us, he is against that which harms us. God is against idolatry in our lives. Because God loves us, God is against injustice in our lives. If you're taking notes, that's the second I word right there, injustice. Let me give you a couple of examples from the teaching of Jesus and from the Bible. The first passage here I wanna read you, it comes from Mark chapter 12. This is kind of toward the end of Jesus' life on this earth, and he's coming into sharpened, heightened conflict with other religious leaders among the ancient Israelites. And this is what, uh, what Jesus said. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces. He's talking about religious leaders who are just so self-important, right? He's warning people like me and anybody else who's a leader in a church community. And they like to have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at banquets. Look at me, I matter most. They devour widows' houses and take advantage of the offerings of the vulnerable and for a show make lengthy prayers. These men and all the religious leaders would have been men in that era. These men will be punished most severely. Jesus' love is a holy love. And he's upset about people who are taking advantage of others, who devour widows' houses, who do it in the name of religion, who, whose hypocrisy leads them to make themselves important and to take advantage and oppress and steal money from other people by means of their power and influence. God loves us, and he's against that which harms us. And Jesus is willing to say so. You can find other passages like this. In fact, those of you who are in community groups, you're going to discuss another passage that's like this in your study guide this week. Jesus is standing in continuity with so many of God's prophets in this because God's love has always been for us 
and against that which harms us. I want to read you one other short passage. It's one we heard read in both of our worship services this morning. This one actually is a, a few extra verses to set the context. This comes from the prophet Isaiah. This is the prophet from the Old Testament that Jesus quoted more than anybody else. God said through the prophet Isaiah to the ancient Israelites, your new moon feasts, these are holidays they were celebrating at that time, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. Whoa, they have become a burden to me. I'm weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. God's holiness and his love is angry at the injustice. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. And what's the wrong and the right that he's talking about? Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, God says. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, we can tell the truth about this. They shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. God's not blind. God was looking at their society 2,500-ish years ago and would look at our society today and say, seek justice. Take up the cause of the oppressed. Defend the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Because when the oppressed are oppressed, when the poor are taken advantage of, when the vulnerable are left behind, when the elderly are forgotten, when children aren't cared for, that harms us. That harms individuals, and it harms our whole society. And because God loves us, because he doesn't want that for us, he's against that which harms us. Man, that's a hard topic. That's a, that's a voice that's present all throughout the scriptures, and we don't listen to it, and we're not aware of it nearly as much as we should be. And let me just acknowledge what I think probably a lot of you are thinking right now when we talk about these kinds of things in our society. There's a presidential election going on, or there's a, uh, a run-up to a presidential election going on right now. The election is still nearly a year away. I think the run-up started nearly a year ago. It goes on for a while, right? And I, I will not, it's not my place, and I will not pretend to tell you which parties or which candidates have the best strategies or ideas that are most faithful to this priority. I don't really believe that I know. But... I want to tell you that God cares about societies like this, that Christians care about societies like this, that we care about the vulnerable, the fatherless, the widow, the poor, because God is for us, because he loves us. He's against that which harms us. He wants the best for us. If God is going to run down the road after us, if he's going to welcome us home as his child, if his love is so full of grace, if his heart is that big, he's going to care about what happens in our lives. Because God is for us, he's against that which harms us. Let me leave you with one, the third I word. Because God loves us, he's against the immorality in our lives. Again, let me start with a reading from scripture. This comes from the New Testament book of Ephesians. This was a letter written by the apostle Paul to the churches around the ancient city of Ephesus. And this is what he, how Paul instructed them in the character of their lives. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. 
Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, which you are, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Is that in any way hard for anybody else to listen to? I mean, that's, that, that can be challenging, right? But let me just ask you to reflect on that for a second. There's a whole lot in that passage about the way that we use our speech. There's a lot in there about the way that we use our words to build others up and not to tear them down. Right? I think the first verse that I read said, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. Parents, my kids and I have that as a memory verse together, just in case you ever encounter that situation. And a little tip for you, if you hook that up with the Christian artist Toby Mack's song, Speak Life, you really got something. God cares about the way that we use our words, right? Because he loves us, he's against that which harms us. He doesn't want us to be using our speech in public or in private to hurt one another and tear people down. There's a lot in there about violence, malice, bitterness, rage, brawling, slander. That's another use of speech, a violent use of speech. You think about all the violence and all the vengeance, it just seems to rise and become more public in our society. Does anybody believe that doesn't harm us? Because God is for us, he's against that which harms us. Greed, Paul mentions in there. God doesn't want to see us being greedy and hoarding things for ourselves and believing that we provide for ourselves, but rather being open-handed, which is good for our own hearts and good for our relationships. Paul says, among you there should not be even a hint of sexual immorality. It could be a whole message unto itself. I'll give just one example right now. I can't drive down the highway or open an article online without seeing an advertisement that uses somebody's body to try to convince me to buy something, to advertise something, to see somebody being objectified. And the images that are there, I'm pretty sure that they're not there to encourage me to think about this person's intelligence or their talent or their emotions or their relationships or their story or their soul. And I don't think that's good for us. I think that probably harms us. I think it harms my daughter. I think it harms my son too. I think it harms us as a people. And because God is for us, he is against that which harms us. He doesn't want this to happen for us. He wants us to be restored. He wants us to experience the fullness of life in Jesus Christ. That he would run down the road after us, throw his arms around and say, you are my child. And he meets us right where we are. Wherever you are, God will meet you there. There is no road you have walked down that is too far for God to love you there. But he does not want to leave you wallowing there. He wants life for you. And he wants life for us together. And we don't need to think about like playing God's holiness off against God's love. Or God's love off against God's holiness, like we have to sacrifice one or the other. Because God loves you so much, his love is a holy love. And it's not just for you as an individual, but it's for us as families and as communities, as a people and as a church family together. 
He wants the fullness of life for us. So I'm going to leave you today with kind of a challenging question to reflect on. I want to ask you, and I think the Holy Spirit of God will speak to each of our hearts, and there's no need for anybody here to be accusing anybody else, but to listen for God to speak in our lives. I want to ask you to think, as, as God's love for you is passionate, like a consuming fire, like a father with his arms around you, is there anything in your life that you think God would see in your life that harms you? Anything that diminishes the life that God wants for you rather than giving you the fullness of life? Is there anything that, that you would think as you pray? And I want to encourage you to, to pray about this as, as we continue in times of music and prayer in our worship service and on beyond the end of the service. Is there anything you think that God looks at your life and says, I want better for you than that? And, and I'll tell you, just to be real practical about this, it might actually, you might know right away. I've been praying about this this week and I've got one good idea already for myself. But it might honestly be hard for us to see in our own lives. And so later today or tomorrow, I'm going to ask my wife about this. Married people have fun with that one. <laughs> I'm going to ask a guy friend in my life to, if there's a blind spot that I'm not seeing. And I'm going to say, do you think there's anything in my life that's harmful to me? Is there an attitude, an action, a behavior where because God loves me so much, he wants better for me than that? And you have permission to speak into my life right now. For the next five minutes, I won't get angry about what you're going to say. And I'll, I'll probably have to pray first so that I'm in a good position to receive that. I want to encourage you to open yourself to that, to listen to the Spirit of God. If you've got a trusted friend or a spouse, maybe in your community groups, if you've nurtured relationships like that, you want to ask that question. Because God loves you so much, he wants the best for you. And I'm going to just close us right now in a time of prayer where we can ask God to speak to our hearts in this worship service too. So let's bow our heads and hearts before God in prayer. God, we know that you are love. And we've been learning about your unconditional love for us, that you call us your children. And God, I pray that you would reassure us of this. Here in this time, in the remaining minutes we spend together in this service, and the rest of this day, that we would be able to see you and know that you are our Heavenly Father who loves us unconditionally that you love us so much that you will chase us down wherever we are, run down the road after all your lost children, and that your passionate love wants better for us than the brokenness we live in. And God, I pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would speak into our hearts, and that you would open the ears of our hearts to hear you, that you would soften our hearts, tenderize our hearts, God, to your word, whether it comes to us internally as you speak to us, whether it comes to us through the voice of a trusted relationship, God, we trust you. And we want what you want for us. And so we pray that you would speak to us and that you would heal what's broken in us, that you would rehabilitate our lives, that you would restore our hearts, that you would restore our relationships, our communities, in our society. We love you. We trust you. Lead on, Lord Jesus. Lead on. We say we'll follow you.